now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here with you. Along with Rich Hill, as always, week three, three and zero. The Patriots demolish the Jets, thirty more points on the scoreboard yet again. Rich Hill, I'm seeing a pattern here with these Patriots games. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at this point, I'm just really sick and tired of how long the preseason is. I just feel like it gets longer and longer and longer. And I don't know, Alec, how many more games are in this preseason? Can we just skip ahead to January? We may as well, man. It's going to be Patriots-Chiefs unless something drastic happens. It's going to be either in Foxborough or in Kansas City. That is as close to set in stone as you can get in September for the NFL, barring injury or some kind of weird fluke. I don't remember a early part of an NFL season, Rich, where there was this little parody and the elite teams were so much farther ahead than the rest of the league that it wasn't even fun to talk about. Oh, seriously. I mean, at this point, I don't know what the suspense is. I mean, like, maybe the Ravens can pull some sort of an upset down the road, but how many good teams are there in the AFC? I'll give it to the NFC. They're, I mean, they aren't as top-heavy as the as the AFC, where, uh, you know, Patriots, Chiefs are just so much better than everyone else. But in the NFC, Cowboys, 49ers, Rams, Packers, and Lions are all undefeated, so good for them. Uh, the Vikings look pretty good every now and then, and so that's not even including the Seahawks. There's plenty of talent up and down. That's anyone's conference, but in the AFC, honestly, it's the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Ravens, I, I mean, they're going to be the number three seed, as, as far as I can tell. And then I don't think anyone else that is going to be playing on wildcard weekend is going to make any noise. No, it's true. Uh, and the good news is we get to sit and watch football, which is always fun. But I don't remember a September, at least, where there was this little action and excitement in terms of jacking the position and making an early name for yourself and whatnot. But that's okay, Rich. We forge ahead, and these are champagne problems at their finest, where you're complaining that your team's winning by too many points and the blowouts <laughs> are too ridiculous. It's not exciting enough to watch. Uh, one thing I'm actually looking forward to in terms of boring and not a whole lot of hoopla and drama is the blessed departure of Antonio Brown. Uh, I think the last time you and I talked, Rich, he was still on the team. He's no longer in the NFL, according to him. He's now enrolling in Central Michigan, or hopefully he's taking remedial spelling and phonics along with other classes. I don't know about you, but it was fun while it lasted, but I got really sick of him really quickly, and I was getting sick of having to spin it as a positive because he's my guy, you know? Oh, I just have no idea why they signed him in the first place. This is None of this should have been a surprise. I mean, very evidently and obviously the four-hour window between him being released from the Raiders and him signing with the Patriots is probably the only checking that the Patriots did. I mean, that, that within four hours of signing him then all of a sudden you have all of these stories coming out clearly new england didn't vet him that's egg on their face they should honestly i mean they need to come out and say something just because uh, you can't sign a player have all of this noise happen like i mean seriously everything that he was a part of and then just say you know what mum's the word you, that's just you can't do that and they never should have signed him in the first place it's unbelievable 
The good news is they definitely didn't need him. It was more than apparent once again this past Sunday with the Jets. Uh, and again, I, I was never going to question his talent, his ability as a receiver. And I will say the homer in me and the, the fan of football in me was looking forward to Antonio Brown, Tom Brady, Phil Dorsett, Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, James White. That would have been such an amazing offense if it had all worked out. So part of me is upset that we're not going to be able to experience that. But at what cost? You know, it just wasn't worth having to deal with it and look the other way and all that crap. So so good for Antonio Brown, and I'm okay not thinking about him um, from here on out. However, on the complete flip side of that, Rich, uh, as happy as I am to see Antonio Brown gone, some rough news today in that Mr. Patriot himself, James Devlin, has gone to the IR with a neck injury. That's a pretty big blow. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, all the news reports are that he's going to be on a week-to-week level. But apparently the Patriots just decided, you know what, there's a little too much of a question mark there. When it's a neck injury, you want to make sure that you're 110% before you even think of returning to the field. So they're going to give him as much time as he can to, to recover. They're going to move forward with Jacob Johnson, who they promoted from the practice squad, straight out of Stuttgart, Germany. Uh, I hope Burns doesn't correct my pronunciation of, <laughs> you know, the, the Bavarian language. And uh, I don't know how he's going to fit in. He didn't really play much at all uh, against the New York Jets. He came in for the kneel downs at the end of the game. Very clearly an impact on the rushing attack as Sony Michelle was kind of non-existent, but we'll break down that in a little bit. Alec, my question to you is now that there are three players on the injured reserve that we would really want to consider bringing back, and so you have James Devlin at fullback, wide receiver Nikhil Harry, and then you also have Isaiah Wynn at offensive tackle, which players are you going to bring back because New England can only bring back two of them? Yeah, I mean, that is the million-dollar question right now. I think Wynn is the absolute lock to bring back for sure. Uh, he's a left tackle. He played very well in limited action. The real question is, do you bring back Devlin as a fullback or Harry as a receiver? And I think this will be a wait-and-see approach for the Patriots. They have to see how the season unfolds. If Johnson turns out to be serviceable and the running game is doing well and Josh Gordon stays on the field and Edelman is healthy and Dorsett keeps catching everything that's thrown his way, they may not need Nikhil Harry to come in later and they can keep him on the shelf for a year, let him fully heal. But uh, if Josh Gordon can't stay healthy or Edelman can't stay healthy and they find themselves in trouble at the receiver spot, maybe they keep Devlin on the sideline and bring Harry in for some kind of last-minute reinforcement. So if I had to pick right now, I would say bring back James Devlin because the running game needs a boost and Sonny Michelle is just better when he can follow James Devlin through the A-gaps. But I think they'll, they'll kind of wait and see how the season unfolds and depending on their area of need, once the IR eligibility becomes available, they'll bring that guy back. Is there any world that you see that Isaiah Wynn is the odd man out? I know that he's left tackle. He is probably going to be a lock, first-round pick and all that. But Marcus Cannon, solid at right tackle. If Marshall Newhouse and Corey Cunningham, the two players that they've acquired, and I know they technically signed Caleb Beninock, but who knows what he'll be up to. If Cannon, Newhouse, and Cunningham can be that solid top trio, is there a reason to bring back Wynn? I suppose just because you invested a very high draft capital in him. This is now his second season. If he goes two for two on the IR, I don't think that really bodes that well for his long-term availability with the team. And you don't want your high draft pick. Think about Derek Rivers, who can't seem to stay on the field. You don't want to have this this pattern of, of guys you draft highly who can't stay healthy. And I'd like to see Wynn get reps. Now, obviously, in Skarnecchia, he can pretty much make anybody do well. So if they really don't need him um, – 
I can definitely make a case, I suppose, for for Harry and Devlin being the two you bring back. But I just feel like when seeks to be part of their long term plans, they seem to have a plan for him to be the guy for them at left tackle. And I don't know why they'd waste another half season to him if they don't have to. Yeah, no, that's completely true. That's completely true. And I think Wynn was playing very well when he was at left tackle. But, you know, I think consistency on the offensive line is probably one of the most important aspects of cohesiveness. And if Newhouse is staying at left tackle, everyone finds themselves in a groove. Maybe there's one small world where, you know, Jacob is not doing enough. They uh, need to have that depth at wide receiver. Maybe Wynn could be the odd man out. I think that is the, the least likely scenario, but it's there. It's an option. Alec, let's talk about week three of the NFL season. Did any of these games catch your eye? Unfortunately, I I, I never thought I'd say this, but unfortunately, I was watching the Patriots-Jets game live. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't really get a chance to see what was probably the game of the week in the Ravens at Chiefs. Uh, I saw the highlights. I've heard there were some questionable calls, like a holding call, interrupting the passer call that might have gone either way. I haven't really seen the whole in-depth analysis, but that was a game that I wish I had watched. Um, I guess the Bengals and Bills were kind of down to the last couple minutes, but I'm not going to lie to you, Rich. I was pretty hydrated at the Jets-Patriots game and didn't see much action this week. Fantastic. That's exactly what you should have been doing. Uh, you didn't miss too much. Uh, that Chiefs-Ravens game was kind of interesting if you're down with the analytics game because the Ravens decided to go for two points to make it uh, go from an 11-point game to a 9-point game after a score instead of just accepting the extra point with automatic Justin Tucker and making it a 10-point game because they said that they were going for the win, which you got to respect, did not pan out for them. But when you're playing a team like the Chiefs in Kansas City, you got to do whatever you can do. The Miami Dolphins have continued to just not look like a football team. They were defeated by the Dallas Cowboys 31-6. to uh, That is ugly. That is very, very ugly. I don't know what Dolphins fans must be thinking at this point, but um, that was that is brutal. Uh, but old friend Jacoby Brissett led the Indianapolis Colts to a 27-24 victory over Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. And old friend Jimmy Garoppolo led a come-from-behind victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers to win 24-20. to uh, Pretty exciting down there. They scored with just seconds left. So good for them. A lot of... Uh, not necessarily upsets, but a lot of backup quarterbacks are taking over the league. And so by definition of my head, that makes them underdogs. Alec, what is your thought with so many of these backup quarterbacks that are really standing out? And I can just run through some of them quickly. Gardner Minshew with the Jacksonville Jaguars is doing well. Um, you look at Jacoby Brissett with the Colts. Uh, you have... Um, just looking at some of the other ones. I mean, technically not Luke Falk with the Jets because he was uh, just terrible. But Kyle Allen <laughs> with the Panthers was fantastic. Had four touchdown passes. He did great. Daniel Jones led the Giants from an 18-point deficit to overcome the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Teddy Bridgewater led the Saints. Well, technically Alvin Kamara led the Saints. But Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback. So they beat the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, which is wow. incredible. So there's a lot of backup quarterbacks that are making some noise showing how important it is to have a good backup quarterback. What are your takeaways with all of these backup quarterbacks having success? 
I'll tell you, one thing the league must be doing is sweating profusely over the two or three name-brand quarterbacks who are still standing at this point. Uh, the people that are always like Brady and Rodgers get all the calls are going to be screaming in a couple weeks when anybody comes near them. If Brady and or Rodgers goes down, there's going to be no quote-unquote big names left from the old guard. It's pretty remarkable. But this also raises the question, I guess, I have to think about in that – the NFL has become such a quarterback-friendly league. The rules have been morphed and altered to favor the offense over the last couple of years. It makes you wonder if it's even as necessary to be a, a superstar quarterback as it has been in years past. And if you're just a serviceable quarterback with a decent offense, the rules are such that you can probably do okay. I, I don't know. I don't have any stats to back that up, but it might help explain why the really solid guys like Patrick Mahomes are just lighting it up while the mustache kings of the world are doing okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's something to monitor for sure. Yeah, and I, I always have wondered, like, is there a point where the quarterback bubble will have to burst? Because there's so much of a team's salary cap invested in this one position that is there a certain level of quarterback ability that is worth turning into a starter? So instead of paying what will inevitably be like that $40 million contract that Patrick Mahomes is going to get with the chiefs, is there a way to sign a quarterback for 10 million a year? Like what, what caliber of quarterback will sign a $10 million a year contract? And uh, would that be enough? If you were able to distribute that extra 30 million in cash, could you sign or like an amazing offense if you had a great offensive coordinator uh you know it, it that would be the difference between having an offense full of those like wide receiver number threes at five million a year and if you could get three of those 15 million dollar a year wide receivers is that worth it how important is that quarterback position i don't know it might be but I, I would be very curious to see if a team ever made that plunge to say you know what there's only so many elite quarterbacks in the league they do get hurt sometimes, and uh, when you invest so much cap into one player, it really hampers your ability to win the Super Bowl. Let's see if we can break the wheel and change a different strategy. Well, I'll tell you who does not have an elite quarterback, the New York Jets, Rachel. <laughs> uh, say what you want about Sam Darnold, but Luke Falk was useless in this game. It was over early, early in the second quarter. Patriots scored touchdowns in their first three possessions. It was just a blowout, and it's funny how when the day comes around, day after the game comes around, and the main complaint is people are upset that even though the defense still has yet to give up a touchdown this season, they still hung 14 on them to a botched special teams punt, and then a Jarrett Stidham pick six. That's like a <laughs> huge sticking point to people. They're like really upset about that. If that's not indicative of how this season's going so far for the Patriots, I don't know what is. Yeah, is what you said earlier. It's a bunch of champagne problems. Alec, I don't yeah. know. With, with this game, Patriots ran out to a 30-0 to lead into the third quarter. That's why they pulled Brady and put in Stidham. Are there any takeaways that you had from the stadium? Any players that you noticed? Because I feel like sometimes when you're watching the game live, it gives you a little bit of a different feel than if you're watching it on the television. Did anyone really pop out to you? Tell you, there's one thing I, I could really say for sure is I saw Jamie Collins in a new light, uh, if it's all possible. I was very impressed with how he'd be on like an, in like a Mike linebacker spot, for example, and they'd run a toss play and somehow he'd be over there to blow it up in the backfield or he'd be uh, the right outside linebacker. 
They'd run the off-tackle play to the left, and he'd be there to blow it up. His lateral speed is unbelievable. I don't know what he did in between his stint in New England to Cleveland to now, but you can't really see it on the TV when you're watching it at home, just what Jamie Collins is able to do and how easily he's able to diagnose plays and, and be there and use his athleticism and explosiveness to get to where he needs to be. So I was just really impressed with him, and I was also very impressed with uh, – I could hear Devin McCourty calling the plays as a, as a defensive captain. Really? That was really fun to listen to. Yeah, you could you, – well, maybe not calling the plays, but – Motioning people to where they need to be, making sure that everyone is on the same page. A lot of talk and a lot of commandeering the defense from the from the safety position. So those are my two kind of on the field standouts from the from section three thirty one up in the nosebleeds. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, those are two of the the bigger players that have really stood out for this New England defense that leads the league in points allowed. Uh, they haven't allowed an opposing team to score a touchdown since they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. So. They are a well-oiled machine. It's nice to see Jamie Collins just pick up exactly where they left off back before he was traded away to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, But it's a fair point to mention uh, Devin McCourty, who you were just talking about. He has three interceptions in three games. Is he in the middle of one of his best seasons ever? I think so. I mean, he's 32 years old, I believe. He's always in the right place at the right time. He's such a consistent player. What I love about McCourty is... I don't think he's ever been hurt, ever. He never misses time due to injury. He's a four-down player. He's such a, an emotional leader. He's always the guy in the huddle doing the, the sights and sounds, pregame pep talk or speech, whatever you want to call it. He's always been a great safety. He's the first ballot Patriots Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I don't know when his next contract is up, but uh, I think he's having a career year. Obviously, it's still early to too early to say he's, he's, he's going to – bust anything out but you know he averages more catches than most of the jets did so (laughs) gotta be happy with that right oh it's true it's really true he had an outstanding game uh i I think that he is in the middle of one of his best years he is also a free agent after this season so i'm sure new england will do whatever they can to retain him he is such a cornerstone player he's one of the players that bill belichick considers to be one of the smartest ones he's ever coached so he'll be around he had an outstanding performance jamie collins has had a complete resurgence this patriots team has so much going for them right now, right? I mean, their offense was unstoppable when they were trying slash healthy. Edelman left early with a chest injury. Uh, It had something to do with his ribs. They got x-rays, came back negative, so that's a good sign for him, but they might take him back a little bit slowly because the upcoming schedule might not need him out there for New England to succeed. That remains to be seen. Uh, and then you're just dealing with some question marks on the offensive line. They lost James Devlin, as you mentioned as well. So there are some questions with how this Patriots offense is going to continue moving forward due to all of these injuries that they've suffered. Walk me back from this, Alec. We've seen this happen back in 2015 when the offense was just flying so well. This was the first year that they had Deion Lewis. He was electrifying. They rushed out to, I believe, a 9-0 start to the season, and then they just started atrophying players. You know, they lost Nate Solder, then Edelman, then Gronkowski. You know, that player after player after player just dropped. We are at a point right now where Josh Gordon was getting his fingers taped in the middle of a game just because I think Matthew Slater said something about a dislocation. We shall see. Sony Michelle has been a ghost. 
James White wasn't there, but that's because uh, congratulations to him. He was welcoming a child to his family. Uh, just another one. I believe Shalit Calhoun had done that as well. So a lot of babies in the Patriots family. But there are a lot of players just getting hurt and getting hurt and getting hurt, Alec. Do I have any reason to be concerned in the long term? I think you always do, man. I mean, it's just the way the NFL season is. Uh, luckily, I think of all the teams who are going to suffer injuries at the course of the year, the Patriots are best equipped to handle those injuries. You know, Saquon Barkley just got hurt for he's out four to eight weeks. Um, you know, Drew Brees, as you mentioned, is out. People are losing players now. Uh, I think it's uh, a lot of it's due to the practice restrictions and what players can and can't do in the offseason. It's kind of translating onto the field. Uh, but I think if the Patriots lose Josh Gordon for some time, I think Philip Dorsett and Jacoby Myers will step up. If Evelyn misses some time, I think Gordon and, and James White will step up. I think they're versatile enough on offense that they'll be able to to handle, especially in this early stretch of the season where you and I are talking for the podcast. They just have a very cake schedule up until week nine or so. So that is another six or six, five or six weeks of them just kind of tweak and adjust and let guys sit if they need to. And as long as they have Tom Brady and as long as Dante Skarnecchia has large, fat guys he can put in front of Tom Brady, I think they're going to be okay. But look, at the end of the day, you're always one big injury away from having your season over. And so the pages are okay for now, but you got to keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. And so maybe when we're thinking of this Patriots-Jets game and they had all these injuries, it was still just a complete blowout. Uh, Rex yeah. Burkhead really stepped up, 47 yards on the ground and a touchdown, added 22 on six catches through the air. Uh, you had a Josh Gordon who was just a real trooper, 83 yards, this has been a very versatile Patriots offense. They just, as you said, they'll come up with a scheme that'll maximize whichever players they have available. I just wanted to touch on the offense a little bit. I think we should focus more on the defense in these closing minutes. The New York Jets were awful on offense. That's not like a surprise to say. Le'Veon Bell had only 35 yards on the ground on 18 carries. That's less than two yards per carry. Luke Falk didn't crack 100 yards through the air. He was sacked a billion times, seemingly at will. Their leading receiver was Braxton Berrios, old friend hey. from the Patriots, 29 <laughs> yards on two catches. What is the <laughs> ceiling for this New England defense? Yeah, it's such a good question. It's such a mystery because... You definitely want to give the credit that it, they deserve because this defense is ridiculous. They're loaded at all three levels. But it's Luke Falk, man. I mean, you know, we were talking in our, our pregame show on, on Thursday. You get Stephon Gilmore and Robbie Anderson, which he did. Robbie Anderson had three catches for 11 yards. He was a complete non-factor. You get Patrick Chung with Jamie Collins and or Dante Hightower on Luke Falk. I mean, on a Le'Veon Bell, excuse me. And the Jets have nothing. Uh, that it wasn't a very difficult defensive game plan, and it worked perfectly. So I'll be very curious to see what happens when there's a really legit offense that comes in to face this team. But again, like I just said, I don't think there's really a legit offense coming in until until week eight or week nine. And as we've seen many times in the past, Rich, September is a month, even in the middle of October, they're kind of a six-week period for tweaking and figuring things out screwing at different schemes, seeing what makes the most sense. And I really don't think this defense has played its best football yet, which is amazing to think about because they've yet to give up a touchdown all season. 
I'm very excited for the potential here, uh, and I really think the sky's the limit. I do. I think this has potential to be probably the on par with the the O three Patriots sort of dominance. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this could be one of the best Patriots defenses of the Belichick era, if not the best. I'm so impressed by some of the role players that have been stepping up. Adam Butler has really emerged this year. I think yeah. he has been such a good contributor. He's making plays all over the backfield. John Simon is just playing out of his mind. I'm expecting that he will go down. I mean, they signed him in the, it's like a mid-season free agent last year. Uh, he always seemed like he would be a Patriots fit, uh, but you know, he's still only 28 years old, turns 29 in October. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Patriots, they have him under contract for this year and 2020. I wouldn't be surprised if he became, you know, got like a three-year extension after that, became like the next Rob Ninkovich sort of thing who finally found his footing in New England because he is exactly what the Patriots like from his versatility standpoint on that defensive front. Great role model for Chase Winovich out there. This is just a team where players are stepping up everywhere. You have such great cohesion in that secondary because everyone has played together for so long. Jonathan Jones is currently the number one rated cornerback in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. The number two rated cornerback in the NFL is Jason McCourty. That's not including Stephon Gilmore, who I believe ranks uh, a hilarious eighth. I'm not sure how that happens, uh, unless there was some sort of play that he allowed behind him in the first couple weeks. I'm not exactly sure, but you know he's reigning first-team All-Pro. He's the best cornerback in the league for my money. Both Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung rank in their top five for safety rankings. So this is the best secondary in the NFL. They have a very versatile defensive front. They can do whatever the heck they want. And I I honestly think that the sky is the limit. This could be the best Patriots defense of the Belichick era. Yeah, you're hoping, man. Uh, I wouldn't be a Pat's Pulpit podcast if I didn't rain in the parade a little bit. So let's close out with this, Rich. Uh, the one negative to take away, if you want to talk about Goskowski missing extra point, we can, but I'm not worried about him still. He'll get it together. But one thing that people are grumbling about a little bit is Sony Michelle's first three weeks as a Patriot uh, in 2019 really not delivering – coming off a very strong rookie campaign. Some guys think it's him losing a step. Some guys think it's the offensive line not run blocking very well. Are you concerned about Michelle at all, Rich? And what do you think the problem is, if there's a problem at all? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things at play here. First off, yes, he definitely does not look like the same player that he was down the stretch for the Patriots in the playoffs. At that point, he was like a very evidently like deserving first-round pick because he was the engine of that New England offense. He does not look like that same player. He does not have that same burst uh, or power that he was showing at the end of the season. Uh, Right now, he's moving a little bit east-west, and that's a problem because he's not going north-south, just moving and pushing the pile. And part of that is because there's been so many injuries to the offensive line, right? Without David Andrews at center, the interior run blocking has not been as good. And then you've had a rotating line at right tackle with Marcus Cannon in and out of the lineup due to injury. And then just changing all of the left tackles. And so right now Marshall Newhouse is out there. There's not a lot of space. He's been getting hit in the backfield a lot. So while Michelle is not playing at his best, it's not entirely his fault because the defensive or the guess the offensive line is not getting any sort of ground on that defensive line. And Michelle's biggest skill was making up getting that that next level sort of production. So if he can get past that line of scrimmage, he's good for seven yards. 
but he's not been given the opportunity to get to that point. And you would like a first round pick to be able to create his own opportunities. And that's where he hasn't fully developed. And part of that, in my mind, is also the coaching staff's fault because they are not throwing him the ball. They are not giving him the opportunity to see the ball in space. And if they're not doing that and they are only going to hand him the ball, which is what's happening uh, whenever he's out there, he's been on the field for 57 snaps and he has 45 rush attempts. So when he's out there, that is, you know, like a 90% chance that he's going to be running the ball, you know, 87, whatever. It's it's a very, very high chance that he's getting the ball. So if I'm an opposing defensive coordinator, I'm just saying, okay, if Michelle's out there, we're going to sell out to stop the run. Maybe there's going to be a risk for a play action or anything like that, but we're just going to stop the run. And until the Patriots coaching staff utilize Michelle as a receiver, flex him out in space opposing teams are always just going to settle and say we will stop the run with him and he will continue to run against brick walls and it's not helping him because that's kind of what happens with James White and Rex Burkhead and what the Patriots do to kind of compensate for a great opposing pass rush or a great opposing run defense is by flexing White and Burkhead out into space and just throwing them the ball and trying to force the opposing defensive line to go back on their heels. And they're just not getting that with Michelle. So Michelle's not looking as great. The offensive line's not doing as well. And then the coaching staff uh, is really raising a red flag for me. Interesting. Well, again, there's a pretty tough opponent coming up on Sunday in the Buffalo Bills defensive front. I'm not sure we'll see a big improvement in the run game on Sunday with Michelle because that is a very formidable defense. Gave the Pages all kinds of problems last year in Buffalo. Took a Devin McCourty pick six more or less to seal that one. So there should be uh, some maybe maybe not this week. The uh, the correction to that, but hopefully in the coming weeks they'll get that together because that running game was huge, especially down the stretch. Uh, and I also realized just now that James Devlin was the lead blocker on all nine Patriots playoff rushing touchdowns. So hopefully the fullback situation sorts stuff out as well. Yep, absolutely. And so that will remain to be seen with Devlin out. That is going to be a question mark. We will break down the Patriots against the Bills on Thursday. Alec, do you have any final thoughts? Ho hum, three and zero, back at it. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, when the Patriots have a chance to go four and zero, Alec, you have a good one. You too, buddy. Later, man. Later.